Hello, and welcome to the Extension Experience Podcast with your hosts, Josh Bouchong, Trent Malachik, and Dana Zook. Here you'll find insights into Oklahoma agriculture from West Area Specialists employed by Oklahoma State University Extension. Their perspectives come from assisting county educators and producers in the areas of agronomy, animal science, and economics. Thank you for joining us. Welcome back. I'm Dana Zook. I'm Josh Bashong. And I'm Trent Malachik. And this week, we are going to focus on wheat, the wheat situation. Um, Josh, can you start us out with a little update from uh, the ag- agronomic side of the wheat wheat situation? Well, the current status of the wheat crop, obviously there's big swing out there right now. There's some that's still going to be some pretty good wheat cut for grain. Uh, we've had quite a few acres being grazed out this spring and obviously some has been already rolled up or laid down about to be rolled up for hay and so we just got done with our annual wheat crop report and even some of the fields i went out and looked out throughout the region uh probably anywhere from 20 to 25 percent looks like it's going to be laid down for hay so uh we're starting to look at what kind of situation we got ourselves into what to do with this wheat hay uh since some guys think there's no other use for their wheat crop right now obviously we're pretty blessed in oklahoma we can do multiple things with our crop uh like i said so as we we're coming uh through april we had a big freeze event mid-april around april 15th uh, so some guys had some freeze out damage to their wheat grain uh, more severe southwest but as we get further west we did see some issues especially here uh height and miss in lower areas of the north central region uh a lot of the fields I've been in, probably less than 5 or 10% damage on the grain. Uh, some of it might be as high as 30 or 40%. Uh, kind of the more you get out there and look at it and see how the grain's developing. Uh, that for some reason, the wheat heads seem like they're staying a lot greener this year. So it's kind of deceiving until you really get out and look and see where that grain's being produced. So some might have blown out the top or the bottom, just depending on what stage it is at when that freeze event occurred. Uh some meshes and those glooms might only have a couple berries instead of three, four, or five berries. Uh, so all that's going to impact our final yield. Uh, but having some of those issues, uh, we will have some shriveled wheat. Test weights will be a little bit lower probably. Uh, protein, on the other hand, might be a little bit higher, especially as we get further west and southwest in the state. Uh, smaller seed generally, uh, lower yield, lower test weight, but usually protein is pretty high. Uh, but as we start looking at what to do with this wheat hay, uh, obviously there's a lot of economic decisions that go into that trend. Yeah, it's the numbers part of it. How do I market it? You know, how long am I going to be able to store it? All these different things are so much different than grain production. I guess you'd say storing hay is when you get right down to it, you think about you're storing a perishable commodity. Now, if you roll it up in round bales, it can last a while, but it's not like putting wheat in the bin that can last forever. And I've been thinking about how that really affects our producers. And I I asked myself the question, and I'll I'll shoot this one your way, Dana, just to get me off the mic for a little bit. But just what is wheat hay? Because I can tell you what wheat is. It's a commodity, and there's a certain set of standards that it has to make. And if it doesn't, there's discounts. You know, at the elevator, they sample it. You can get the protein, you can get dockage, and all these different things that kind of adjust 
what wheat is as a commodity. So people will say, I have wheat hay. It might be 50% rye. Yeah, and that's different than just wheat hay. So talk a little bit about the differences nutritionally and and in quality and and condition of that crop. Yeah, I think uh, that's a that's a huge topic. Um, you know, I think a lot of people think, well, it's wheat hay or it's alfalfa or if it, or it's or um, prairie hay. That's another one that's very generic. Prairie hay is my favorite. Yeah, yeah I mean, about anything. Yeah, it's like a mix of a variety. Of things. I mean, it's just it's crazy. So. We can't think about hay kind of like we do grain. You know, wheat, wheat grain is wheat grain, all right? But wheat hay can mean a lot of different things, all right? So really high quality wheat hay needs to be cut when it's in the boot or a little bit later. Um, that's when you get the highest quality. Now you have the lowest quantity of wheat hay when you cut it at that time. And I think that's where the hang up is. Um, the longer you let it mature, you will have more volume of hay, but the quality will go down. Um, and when I say quality, I mean the protein as well as the energy value. So um, the protein of the hay will go down, but the energy or palatability or digestibility, lots of these terms that we can talk about in the future. But a lot of the things that the, the terms that create what type of quality of wheat hay we're talking about. Um, those are reduced. The longer we leave that that wheat hay growing as it gets closer to harvest, I mean, it gets to be a lower quality feed um, every day. You know, especially now it's getting dry. We haven't had much rain. Things are starting to mature and progress. And so um, it, it really is not just one product like you talked about, Trent. It can be a variety of things. And so when you're purchasing it, it's very important to get a hay test so that you can determine, is it a high, should I provide a high quality, a price that meets the high quality, or should it be priced much lower because it's more just like roughage? You know, is it a six or 7% protein hay that has grain in the head in the bale? Um, that can actually be a big risk for cattle. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, Trent, but that's, that's some things that go through my mind. Um, wheat hay is not just one thing. It's a variety of things. Uh, I definitely agree. Obviously, a lot of things go into whether or not it's going to be high quality. And a lot of times the farmers are making those late minute decisions on mm -hmm. should we take it to harvest or should we start rolling it up? And so some of that, obviously, this year has already been past anthesis, starting to set some grain like we discussed. And so that quality has been dropping. And so that value might not be there that they're thinking it's going to be. Yeah. And are the people there to put it down, cut it? And then roll it back up. You know, are the people there when they need to be there? The uh, the custom hay guys, or you know, do you have that equipment in your backyard? Um, it's it's a timely thing right now. And the thing about stalker producers know this best. You know, they're especially the ones that take it to graze out. The cattle will eat wheat very well whenever it's tillering and prior to jointing. Once we get to jointing, consumption starts going down. Once we get to heading, you almost have to beg a stalker calf mm -hmm. to eat that stuff. And then that you're thinking about, well, that's what we're rolling up in the bale right now is headed wheat. Mm -hmm. And then you get a little bit past that where the bottom leaves are now brown and the plant's starting to senesce and, and getting into maturity. And you might have the flag leaf that's still partially green. And if you're bailing that up with grain in the head, would an animal want to eat that standing in the field? Probably not. So the quality is going to be a lot less and the digestibility, palatability all come into play whenever you start thinking about uh, 
where that plant is and its life cycle and timeliness is like what you're talking about in the boot is the best but all hay guys will tell you you can't cut wheat in the boot it'll never dry and that's true. true very true that's very true but that's when you need to be calling your custom hay mm -hmm. operator or getting your own equipment ready so as soon as that head comes out of the boot you can get it cut at the optimum time and you know that's again that comes into play as well what are you producing this crop for? And I'm going to get on the economic soapbox, I guess, because we talked earlier about when I sell wheat grain, the co-op will tell me exactly what I have and they will give me the discounts and, and everything on that crop and I'll get a price. Well, it depends on when you're trying to sell hay, how educated is your buyer? Do they know what they want? Because a lot of times uh, buyers get really hung up on what is the cheapest I can buy because they think wheat hay is wheat hay is wheat hay. So it, you know, if they paid $30 for something last year, they want to pay $30 for it this year. Well, is it worth $30? Mm -hmm. and, and I'll list off some things like how big are the bales? You know, are they 60 inch bales? Are they 65? Are they 70 inch bales? We think about a five by six bale as being five foot by six foot. Are those bales measuring 72 inches? Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of difference there. We'd rather buy buy hay by the ton that way we know what it weighs and the bale size isn't as big of a deal but that's rarely how it's done we usually buy hay by the bale so you know not no not all bales are created equal and there's you can change that monitor setting all you want to whatever number you want and if you can see a visual difference driving down the road you can imagine that that bale is quite a bit shorter than than maybe six foot and and there's a lot of reasons why people do that it's easier on equipment with lighter bales and things like that but mm -hmm. comparing apples to apples is very important there I think another thing you kind of keyed in on it earlier is that it's not all going to be wheat. A lot of these acres, especially north central Oklahoma, where we didn't have a significant freeze damage, it's being rolled up because it's full of weeds. Uh, feral rye, extremely bad this year. A lot of bromes, cheats uh, are going to be in that bell. So figure out where you're going to be feeding that, whether or not you're going to be creating more of an issue later on as well. Mm -hmm. That's a big that's a big point that you hit on there. Um, what what sort of toxicities could those weeds have? Now, maybe with wheat, it's not as big of an issue or in co kind of cooler temperatures. But if you're bailing any sort of forage that has been stressed, you know, from it being dry, there can be some toxicities in that. Probably not so much in the ones that are in wheat, but that's something to think about as well. Um, get your hay tested. That's yeah. all I have to say about that for protein and energy. There'll definitely be a palatability issue there. Mm -hmm. Rye, you know, is going to mature faster than wheat. So if you're cutting wheat whenever you, it's ready, chances are the rye could be a little farther along. Mm -hmm. Rye tends to be less leafy. So, you know, it, if you've got more stem and less leaf, it's a palatability issue with the cow. And now if, if that can be ground, that'd be great because you can, you can grind those long stems up into something that's easier to eat. Thinking about more on the lines of total mixed ration at this point yeah. where where each bite is the same thing. You know, when you think about that, even with a wheat plant, you know, that you've got the stem, you've got a few leaves and you've got the head. Those are all very different parts of the plant and, and palatability becomes an issue there. The ons can be an issue in, in more mature wheat. So you could have, if you're feeding it by the bale, you know, like a lot of people do, um, you can get cows with sores in their mouths because of those ons have stuck in there. Um, and that's something we've been looking at OSU. Obviously, one of our new varieties that just came out, OK Corral, is a beardless wheat. And obviously, some of these farms are being sown knowing they're either going to be grazed out or hayed off. So some guys are starting to 
look for those beardless varieties. Uh, has that really been that big of an issue that you've heard of? Well, I do have, uh, okay, about a couple times a year, I talk, you know, people will mention, well, I had, you know, I bought some really low quality hay and it had some issues. I'm not sure it's a huge issue. It's just something that, you know, we always have to mention, you know, it's a possibility. So, so would yeah. Onless Wheat Hay have a premium drink? Of course. Yeah. Because it's like, I, it's, this is all anecdotal anecdotal on my part but i seem to have more problems with the ons with my older cows that maybe mm-hmm. are missing some teeth and they have to roll that around in their mouth more and more and more and then you'll start seeing them have an abscess on the side of their face or something mm-hmm. and and yeah it, definitely beardless wheat would have a premium it can go into different markets wheat hay is never going to be what someone considers horse quality hay but the ons are exactly the reason why it's uh, not ideal for some of our more sensitive animals. You know, a cow has pretty tough mouth, Dana, doesn't mm-hmm. she? Yeah, <laughs> she, yeah, she, she does. Can ha- she can handle that. But when you get into any other species, mm-hmm. you know, that those ons are kind of what usually becomes a problem. You think about foxtail not being horse quality hay because of the, the ons and it getting stuck in their teeth. And that's a, way less than. Yeah, and it's than, the same idea yeah. there, but. I think it comes back to educating the producer or the consumer of your hay. Like, are they going to pay for that? Do they understand what that is? You know, on the yeah. sweet, I mean, beardless sweet, sorry. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think if, if everybody knew what that was, I think that would be a great thing. That's always been a struggle with producing hay, though, is if my consumer doesn't value the premium, I can't afford to raise premium hay. And, and oftentimes, you know, they won't they won't require a test or they, they aren't interested in the protein. It's well, if they aren't interested in protein, I won't top dress. Yeah. And if you aren't interested in paying a premium for the hay, I'll cut it later to maximize forage, mm-hmm. to maximize the number of bales I have. Yeah. So that's always, you know, the, the producer can produce nearly whatever quality forage you want. It's as a consumer, you have to be really educated understand what numbers you need for your animals what kind of nutrition is required you know Mm -hmm. and and dana you can talk a little bit more about that when i get done here but just you know if you need 10 percent protein hay to meet their requirements wouldn't it be easier to feed 10 percent protein hay instead of feeding five percent protein hay and dumping cubes every day absolutely yeah i know we talked some at the beginning about storage and kind of the forecast for this summer is going to be hot and dry. So mm-hmm. keeping this for later this summer, I think that might have an advantage to some of these producers, Trent. Well, it all becomes a cash flow problem. You know, it's if you're cutting wheat for hay, the great thing about cutting wheat for grain is that as soon as it hits the elevator, I can sell it. And with hay, it's not that easy. You're becoming more of a salesman at that point, And you're trying to market something that's not a commodity. And, you're going to be tempted that you've rolled it up. If you need money to pay bills, which most of us do, you know, I want to sell it right now. And selling hay when cows have, you know, a face full of grass is not, you know, in the best interest of the seller, I guess I would say, mm-hmm. because there's there's not much demand from the buyers. You know, I, I know I'll need hay this winter, but I don't need it right now. So you may not command the premium for your hay that, that you think it might be worth. And you know, if you have a dry summer and it stores well, making sure you keep it out of low spots and out of standing water, preferably inside, but that's not very common in Oklahoma to have uh, storage for hay inside, especially round bales. So there was one thing I did learn this year about stacking round bales. 
Uh, I've always grown up pushing them tight against each other to try to get prevent rain from getting in there. But mm-hmm. there is some recent data showing that leaving a four, six-inch gap between the bells is actually more beneficial because you can get a little wind through there because water is still going to seep down in there. Mm-hmm. And if the water can't evaporate off, you're going to have more mold issues. So when I'm putting that hay out the end of the field, leaving a little bit of gap between the bells is showing to be more of a positive than a negative. Did you stack them in any sort of direction? Uh, I haven't seen any data on that, but no. some guys prefer one way or the other. Yeah, but, north, south, or yeah. something like that. But then it depends on what kind of road you're sitting next to and how that works. But I know there's some data out there for that. Maybe that'd be a great next episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'd say the most loss I've seen from stacking hay is either stacking them under trees that where they don't ever see light and then that water becomes a problem where they can sit there and rot mm-hmm. or stack them in like the pyramids that you'll see where you have two rows and you put one in the middle when the edges of those bales touch and water gets there it, yeah. it can't shed out so mm-hmm. the best way like you said either leaving a little bit of a gap then you have a heel on the ends if you can get them packed really tight sometimes you can save some of that the ends of those bales but yeah, it's pretty difficult because if you have just if you don't get them packed tight enough and there's a little bit of a gap they can mold in there and then and then you start losing even more of that hay that you've produced. Yeah, all in all, we need to remember, it is a perishable commodity. It does perish. And we lose, like we talked about before we started recording, how much we lose if the outside three inches is is ruined because it sat there for a couple years, even a year. Um, I mean, we don't have exact numbers, but probably 60% of the bale is in the, the outer edges of that bale. And so if you lose that, you're just losing so many you know, pounds of edible forage for those cows. Um, they can still eat that that moldy part. Um, most of the time it's not bad for them necessarily, but you're not going to get a whole lot of quality nutrition out of it. So you that's- poor consumption too. Poor so consumption. They don't want to eat it. So yeah. you're supplementing more. Yeah, absolutely. What type of numbers should a buyer be interested in? I, when I say numbers, I say from the hay test. Like- <laughs> Yeah. So I was just sitting here thinking, preparing for that sort of question. But um, so typically for a, a dry cow, we want to see a 8%. She needs 8% of protein in her diet and 55% TDN or better would be great. Um, What's TDN? TDN is an energy value. Thank you, Trent. Um, what we use for cows is called, it's defined as total digestible nutrients. All right. So that's the energy value we use for cows. We use a different energy system for for uh, growing calves and so we can get into that later but um, for just a general hay test you want to look at crude protein you want to see about an eight percent crude protein for gestating dry gestating cows um, and then um, for lactating cows they need about 10 percent protein in their diet so I know we're not talking about their whole diet with hay sometimes but it would sure be more cost effective to just feed the hay that meets the quality without having to go out and get some of those concentrate, you know, cubes or added protein source, you know, just feed the hay that meets the requirements. So about 10% protein, we like to see anything above a 55% TDN for them as well. Um, we can get really deep into nutrition, but those are the things you want to look at on your, on your um, forage test. And I will say, and probably to wrap this up, um, you can get your hay tested, um, your soil tested, um, your water tested at every county extension office across the state. Every All 77 counties have that capability. We have a really great lab on campus that will test that. If you're getting your hay tested, 
go in and tell the people that you want to, you know, protein and energy on that hay test. And it's a pretty minimal cost. It's anywhere from 14 to 18 bucks per um, uh, sample. Um, really easy to do. Um, and so that can give you kind of some an idea of what some of this hay will really be, could be really be valued. And many of our offices even have hay probes where we can go out Absolutely. and sample too. So you can borrow those from the offices themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, with that, we'll look forward to talking to you next time and uh, see you later. We hope you've enjoyed what you've heard. If you would like to hear more or follow up on the discussed topics, please reach out to your local county extension agent. OSU has a presence in all 77 counties with educators eager to assist you. Also, please consider checking the description for links to our social media pages and further information pertinent to the conversation. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon.